Now it's True Wealth presented by Little John Financial Services. Here is David Littlejohn with True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. Hey, gang, we're going to go ahead and try this again since I jumped the gun a little bit. Uh, this is Justin Bruggeman, and you're on True Wealth, and I'm here with Matt Dixon. Hey, we apologize. We were running a little late. David's running a little late, and me and Matt got stopped by the train on the way here. You can't move a train, right? Like, what, what can you do? It really, it, like, I'm like 90th percentile if I ever go across Garden Valley. I hit that thing. It's yeah. like amazing. Um, so, so welcome. You know, what is it David says? It's the best Tuesday you've had all week. That's right. Man, you have been listening to the radio show, Justin. I, I Are do. you sneaking it? I like, do. at home, you've got it tuned in? I, I do, and I do listen to the podcast, too, if I don't catch up on it. There you go. Well, Justin, what do we got going on today? What are we talking about? You know, how are we starting the show? You know David's going to show up at some point today, hijack everything, derail what we've got going on, but what's what's the general outline today? That's where, uh, well, me and Matt decided we were going to think of a topic, and then we were talking to David, and he said, eh, that's boring. But it's it's pertinent, it's relevant, and everyone can hear it, right? It applies True. to everyone? Yeah? Very true. But... Um, I gave David a quick call on the way here, and I was like, what exactly do you mean? Because the text message he got, or sent us, made absolutely zero yeah, sense what, to me What did he text you. us again? And what was it? Flow versus quant versus fundamental. And as he walks in here. Did you figure out how to use the actual board? I did, barely, barely. <laughs> All the buttons are pushed, right? Yes. Okay, well, take it away. No, so now, I've been on a plane all day. <laughs> so well rested. Yeah, totally well rested. Or is it well rested and jet lag like mixed into one? You know, I got the most sleep in the last week, last night, and I think it was five hours. Oh, so <laughs> I'm just yes, I'm feeling super well rested and maybe mildly wired. Ah. So explain to us what the text message, which I got a little bit of what you said, but it was really, it was a very short message and like, this is what we should talk about. And we're like, I don't know. I, I got nothing right. No. So here's what happens. Uh, first, so I, you know, I was in Tennessee and then I went to Texas and I've got some folks that I have been uh, working with in Texas that are in the sort of the financial research field now for more than a decade. Okay. So they're friends of mine, but we also, we talk a lot of shop. So yesterday, what we spent most of the day talking about what was going on in the marketplace, and it was precipitated by looking at oil prices. Okay. Right? So oil prices have really gone up. And the conversation started with uh, one of these comments that happens in every household, right? I'd be like, just you're, you're, you wake up, you're cooking coffee, and you, you look to your significant other and you say, Look at that. There's a margin call in Switzerland, right? Yeah. I'm like, everybody <laughs> says that, right? <laughs> and what that really means is that, I, or I'm pretty sure it was Switzerland, but it was for companies that were in the oil space that had been borrowing money, they had to essentially produce money to cover it because their collateral was no longer appropriately valued. And right. It creates a shift in the supply and demand balance in the marketplace. So just think about it. We talk about this all the time, right? There's only two things that control the price of anything, right? right. Supply and demand. A margin call, if you're if you're borrowing 
money to to buy a position or in this case to sell a position before you own it okay and then you have a margin call because the prices are going against the position that you took so oh i'm losing money on this deal and my collateral is shrinking so margin call means i need to come up with more money then it changes things especially if you've uh for example had a short position and everything was going up now right. keep everybody on the show right if you listen long enough a short position means you sold it before you owned it right okay you borrowed it from somebody else to sell it before you own it and now that the, the price is going up and you're like wait a second i sold it high and now it's gone higher so i'm gonna have to buy it back at a higher price than i sold it for so i'm gonna lose money because the price is going up because shorting is opposite land and the bank comes along and more or less says, you know, you don't have enough money in the account because this, the position you took is shrinking in value. Right. So you got to come up with more money and they go, uh Oh, now we have to buy back the position. So we stop losing money. But what did we just do? Drive the price up even higher. Because, Why? Because the volume's higher. You're buying it. And so the supply and demand yeah. So this, which and which this. part of the curve? He's there. I'm just yeah, making yeah. him just making him use the right words for our listeners. So it's it, it's not a volume thing. Volume's how much of it's transacting. Right. But the volume would go up if they're having to buy it in mass quantities right. in order to. It's the demand side of the right. equation, yeah. right? So there's the the supply of shares hasn't changed, but the number of people willing to buy it, or at or this point required to, to buy it, right, <laughs> drives the price higher. It's something called a short squeeze. Mm -hmm. We talked about this several months ago. Wasn't it with GameStop? Yes, exactly. Yeah. That's exactly what we talked about. <laughs> so uh, this is sort of a, a short squeeze that then fueled oil. And it, it, what it did was it just precipitated a conversation about the markets at large and how much the stock market has already gone up for the year, whether or not there was any more gas in the tank for the last quarter. And we were looking at lots of different things. And then we started talking about the major things that move the market. Now, I am. Uh, there are two things that I watch a lot, and a third thing I'm starting to watch, and it had never been named before. And I don't think this is an official name either, but we kind of called it with air quotes, flow. Wow. Right? So, yeah. fundamental stuff is, you know, all the different economic or financial data that you can get. So, how much money does the company earn? How much debt does it have on the balance sheet? Where are the office locations? I mean, these are all fundamental pieces of information. Right. Okay. Then you have technical or quantitative data, and that's the price and the volume. How many people are buying it? When did they buy it? At what price did they buy it? Were the prices going higher or lower? Mm -hmm. And so you're studying price and volume. And then what I do is I marry the two together and say, well, when these events occur technically, what was going on in the fundamental landscape and does that explain part of the story right does it confirm something does it make sense like oh hey we we got the, the GameStop story wait a second why is this short squeeze happening well they shorted more shores sale sorry they shorted more shares than even existed right and you went well there's your problem <laughs> but that's that's part of it is trying to marry the two up and see if they make sense but the third one is new Right. And it's not that it's new, but we talk a little bit about this in our investment committee meetings. You guys, we talk about like how computers watch stuff. 
Right. Right. Okay. So computerized trading. Computerized trading, algorithmic trading. So, and, and also how hedge funds behave or how market makers behave. Right. And so, anybody want to tackle market makers for our listeners? That produces the assets that are being sold. The people just buying and selling the stocks. So at those the best available price. So it's it's actually the brokerage itself. Like some some companies have their the own inventory, right? right? So so what they're saying is, hey, okay, so Justin and Matt want to buy these stocks, but you're going to go through me because I've got a pool right. of stocks sitting around. So by the time Justin, we got to get it from your pocket to Matt's pocket. So well, you just give me the shares of when you in the next day or two. Meanwhile, Matt, you get the shares from me today. You owe me, Justin, right? right. I'm the I'm the market maker, so I'm going to facilitate this trade right now, and then we're going to get a couple days for that stuff to settle up in the marketplace. But that's how the market maker does that. And the beauty is, me, I have my own inventory, right? Right, meaning. It's like I've got the car lot, and you guys, you know, you want to buy a, a, Justin, you want to buy a, a car for Matt, then uh, I'll I'll give you the, the the same car that Matt's selling, kind of deal. Well, because I have my own inventory. Right. That that's what it would come down to. So it works like that with stocks, but my own inventory at a price. It's most relevant, I think. This is probably not most relevant. But it's very relevant in the options landscape. Right, that's the derivative marketplace because these large market makers—they're the ones that actually create derivative instruments and and then market them. So they got a real vested interest in how the market performs because if you're writing an insurance contract, you don't want to make you don't want to get it actuarially wrong and cost you. Right. So the flow is all about the behavior of the marketplace and where things are going. And keep in mind that me, if I'm the order maker, I can see what you're doing. Right, I can see both of you what you're willing to buy or sell. Right, that gives me a little bit of insight into what the market's doing. <laughs> so the flow to me is an important element of, well, what are, for example, really large institutional blocks of money doing? Right, are they accumulating or distributing from some places? So now you've and and that should show up a little bit in the technical data, but it doesn't always because of one gotcha. We never really talked about this on the show, so you guys, I wouldn't expect you to know this, right? This is where I cheat because I got 20 years of doing this. So we've talked about IPOs, right? Right. Okay. So I'm just going to set our listeners up. The IPO deal, mostly because of the most recent one, our local little darling, right? Dutch Bros. Exactly. So Dutch Bros has an IPO. People are saying, how do I get in? How do I get in? I said, you had to know somebody a while ago. Uh, and then you could go buy Dutch Brothers now because it's not an IPO. It's trading on the secondary, secondary market. market. Secondary yeah. market. But there's another market we don't talk about, right? The tertiary market or the institutional market where there is no intermediary. Large mega conglomerate, when a large mega shareholder directly trades with another shareholder. Right, so maybe mutual funds do a swap directly okay. in between. They don't go through an exchange per se. They just do a direct trade. It'd be the equivalent with, of Justin and Matt say, "We don't need to use it, you, David." Matt walks over to Justin's house with the shares and signs them over. Right. So those would be exempt transactions. So they're exempt. I think has a different meaning in regulatory terms. Okay. They're not exempt. They are not facilitated through an exchange. So hmm. you don't necessarily see these giant because they're typically done after hours. Right, so they're not going to happen in during this. So Do those volumes get recorded? 
So not on the secondary market because they don't trade on the secondary market. Gotcha. Now, some of it will, right? Like if you see, for example, the S&P 500 kicks a stock off and adds a new one on, that's going to show up all over the place because there's a bunch of mutual funds and retail things mm -hmm. that mimic indexes. So they're, it's going to get caught up in the froth of the trades there. But if mutual fund company A wants to trade with mutual fund company B and they want to do a direct transfer, they don't have to go through an, a third-party intermediary to get that done. They can do direct Does it get registered as a sale? It's Yes. Hmm. Okay. Or But, but it's... <sighs> Not on the secondary market. So yeah. I, it's an interesting, I know why you're asking the yeah. question, but it's not going to show up there. Gotcha. Right? It's not going to be it, – it may move the market, but that supply and demand isn't, isn't yeah. playing in the okay. same pools. Right? So it, it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect things, but it's not going to – it's going to be sort of out Behind on the, the fringe. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, that whole story is a lot of the flow part of it, right? Okay. It's the stuff that you, you don't always see those elements of what are the market makers doing? What are institutional blocks doing? What are hedge funds doing? And that's, you know, where you're, you know, they sort of start the popularity contest. Because, you know, you and me, you know, we go out there and throw a few bucks in the market. You've got your 401k plan or something. And what does that mean? I mean, you could buy a million dollars worth of Microsoft and it's trading, what, how many hundreds of millions of right. dollars per day? Right, it's a, nobody even noticed. Yeah, you're a rounding error. Right, <laughs> right. You're it, the, the market doesn't notice that. Uh, it, it has to get pretty big, or the positions have to be pretty thinly traded to move them. Right. So you go buy a penny stock, you could mess it all up. Right. But uh, anyway, so that's the three things I thought it'd be kind of fun to talk about. Is especially in light of what's going on in the market right now. Right. I mean, because I don't know if you guys checked, but last week was kind of rough mm -hmm. and monday wasn't exactly grand then today not so bad so what's that all about it's about what we talk about after this insane profit break uh, exactly so we'll do that are they playing the music you got the headphones yep. all right they are let's uh we'll take it to break and we'll be right back stick around gang this is dave little john justin Bruggeman and matt dixon and you got true wealth on news radio 1240 kqen All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Dave Littlejohn in studio with two of my favorite advisors in town, Mr. <laughs> Matt Dixon and Justin Bruggeman. So we do, and then I have to point at them and see how quick the response time is. You guys are kicking tail. Uh, as it, and if you guys can't tell, all of our listeners, I am wired. So I'm now standing in the studio because that or I pass out. Is that how that works? Did you drink Usually. too much Dutch Bros? David, is that it? You're too caffeinated. You're ready to go. No, I didn't oh. even do that. Jeez. I just have actual calories. It's from sitting uh, on the plane and then sitting in the car. And you got to get too. up and move. You, you were bunched up now. for too long. You're ready to go. It's true. There wasn't. I didn't get a direct connect from Dallas this morning, so I had to go through Denver. And yeah, I just got to where I'm like, all right, I'm tired of sitting. It's been like six or six and a half hours oh. of sitting. Mm. Just going. I'm gonna need to. I don't even like running, but there's this part of me that says, but you might need to move. And then I look outside and go, what What do you guys do to the weather? 
Yeah, it's nasty Our, out there. My well is full now, so that's good. Okay. <laughs> yeah, inside story there, gang. Well, look, if you are just tuning in, we're uh, there is podcast. You can get the setup to the show. But here's the thing we're exploring a little bit today. Uh, it's This is more like a backdrop for trying to get an understanding of how the markets operate. You know, these markets, they go up, they go down. And a lot of people take this attitude of like, yeah, whatever, it's long term, so I don't care. And then some people look at this and they just stress over it going, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen next? It's, you know, the end of the world. Uh, and then some of you are thinking it's because the other team did this thing. Right. And, <laughs> right. and so we all get our way of working into a lather about it. And then I have been having conversations with a whole bunch of financial pros and we just shrug our shoulders and go, what well, just sort of does this stuff? Right. Uh, after more than two decades of watching this, my level of panic continues to drop because uh, yesterday sucked is a technical term. And then today, big bounce. Right. And it wasn't even that surprising. Right. I mean, it was, it was sort of an oversold technical rally, mostly in big tech. Mm -hmm. Right. And what we'll probably see, and this is not a prediction, don't go trade off of this. But, you know, we may see another day or two of rebound. And then we'll probably see another knockdown too. Because what the market seems to be looking for is the 200 day moving average. And the reason I'm sharing these numbers with you is not to impress you because it's absolutely relevant to the conversation about fundamental data, flow, and technical analysis, right? right? So as the newest guy here, Matt. Oh man, hot seat time. Yeah, hot seat time. Justin back. What do up. you know? So, I mean, of the three between flow, fundamental, and technical, which one uh, I'm going to let you pick which one you're going to help our, our listeners figure out first. We're going to kind of break them down and describe just some basics. Let's go with fundamental. All so right. with fundamental analysis, we're looking at the books and we're saying, okay, we're not really like looking at the, the technical stock charts. We're not looking at the movement yeah, as so much. It's not as, really charting. Yeah, at we're this not point. charting. We're okay. looking more at like price to earnings uh, of a company. We're looking at, are they meeting earnings? Are they yeah, kind of balance profitable? Sheet. Uh -huh. Yeah. So what's their income statement look like? How are they doing as a company? Not just what is the chart showing us? Right. So that'll be the stuff that is mostly the things that are going to be reporting, right? So when the yeah. company publishes data, that's the fundamental stuff. Hey, here's our you know, estimated earnings or our forward guidance, all that stuff falls under the category of fundamental right. because companies providing that information to the public. Okay. So Justin, you want to go with flow or technical? I'm going to go with technical because I'm you still do it little, all the time. I'm still a little borderline with, with this flow. Yeah. When I hear flow, all I think is the progressive commercials. So I'm tapping <laughs> out on that. That's literally what it is. So, <laughs> and so even more on the technical side is what you know, we're kind of looking at, you talked about the 200-day moving average, which uh -huh. is just the average price in the last 200 days. Right. And then the 100-day, then the 50. And we look at also a lot of what we could, they're Bollinger Bands, which is just the standard deviation or the price movement up and down in a stock. And whether it falls outside of that normal standard deviation, those are quotes. Um yeah, we could, could be air quotes on the right. radio. Could be considered oversold or overbought, which could be points to either buy or sell or reposition. Yeah, so more like trading conditions. Correct. 
Okay, so you know the fundamental data is the stuff the company's publishing. The the trading conditions are really the what's actually happening. Yeah, sort of. It's, it's, yeah, it's 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 actually looking at what it is doing behavior price and behavior wise. How many people are buying it and when, and then. Mary, we talk about marrying those those data points up. Hey, we saw a spike in volume right before they're going to post a dividend. Right. Oh, okay. Well, then everybody thought they wanted to, you know, go front run a dividend. So now we talk about flow. Right. Flow is the ambiguous stuff. It's really the institutional behavior, though. What's mm -hmm. what is institutionally occurring where money is moving around? Okay. So this is a lot harder for the the I'll call it the the consumer level or the retail side of the marketplace to really get information on this. For example, fund flows. Okay, how many people are buying or selling mutual funds and in what categories? Right. That's harder data to access. It's not like they just throw it up on the screen somewhere and everybody sees it. Or uh, the stocks that hedge funds are buying or selling and when. Right. What kind of positional behavior do institu are institutions taking or what are the trading desks for market makers doing? If you don't know what I mean by market makers, check out the podcast. It was in the last segment. OK. And then there's a fourth category of uh, analysis that we also can't do. And you guys aren't going to guess this one. Right. It's cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Cheating. <laughs> right. Uh, inside information. Right. It's not legal. Right. And when, when you catch people on it, uh, you know, the, the most recent this was a funny one last week is people are saying we need to audit the Federal Reserve because it looks like maybe there's some people that are, you know, conspicuous trading and they're policymakers. And uh, everybody in the office all of a sudden went <coughs> audit Congress, uh, you know, <laughs> like, really, how how remarkable that you would quickly jump on let's audit somebody else but you know you'd whistle right past that graveyard yourself didn't martha stewart get popped for that some years back she did for insider trading yeah yeah, yeah and and the representative did more time than she did on it but she actually had some jail time over mm -hmm. it and meanwhile uh, you know i think we could argue probably with very suspicious evidence right it's uh, still i don't have any you know, aha, Scooby-Doo mask relief moment here, but I do have a lot of indicating data here that says there's some people in in Congress that sure have had really good trades right. that are really yeah. well timed. Right. I mean, and they're they're just they're really savvy, and in, in all of their spare time while representing the public, they just made these remarkable financial calls too. And yeah, thought, I've been watching that. Well, a little you guys bit. are just really in tune there. So I'm 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 not suspicious at all. Wink, nudge. <laughs> but but cheating we don't count, right? right? Plus, I don't have access to it. I don't know where the inside information would come from. So oh, I guess right. it's okay. Yeah. It makes cheating harder when you can't cheat. <laughs> you got to know someone that knows someone. Yeah. Well, and people make stuff up all the time. I'm sure. But yeah. but the reason we're having this conversation is not about the cheating or anything else. I loved this description I heard over the last week about they described the market as the plumbing. Right? These three things are the plumbing of the market. How does the stuff flush around in there? Uh -huh. <laughs> Where is it moving? How is it connected? Because it gives you a sense of why the market moves like it does. I mean, up and down is normal. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it's normal. So if, if you're getting uncomfortable with a move, say, yesterday going, oh, my gosh, do you realize that 
the S&P 500 is up still. I mean, what are we at year to date? Like 14 or 13? You know, after yesterday, I think about 15. So 15 ish. We're 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 like less than 5% from all-time highs. Well, wasn't it when didn't we look at it which maybe I'm miss wasn't like 48% of the stocks in the S&P 500 under their 200-day moving average yep. like last week? Yep. Wow. Now that's, which is amazing. That's a technical stat by the way, right? It's I guess it's it's a <laughs> it walks a funny top, but it's a technical stat. Can you explain to our listeners what that what you just what that means though? Well, yeah, it just means that of what so half of the half half of the stocks in the S&P 500, so 250 yeah, are yeah. below the average price in their last 200 trading days. Yeah. And so that would usually mean that the price of the S&P 500 would push down a little yeah, bit. Yeah, you'd expect the whole thing to be lower. Right. Right? Because if half the stocks are below the price that they've been averaging for the last 200 days. How are they positive? Then you're like, well, why is the index up 15%? Right. Half the stocks are below. And wasn't it mainly tech that took the brunt force of that? Well, so tech uh, is what got beat up, but you're you're sneaking around at the whole issue in the first place, right? That it, it, were 50% were of those, the, the stocks below 200-day moving average, how many were tech stocks? Right. And what's the weighting That'd of those 250 statistic. stocks? Well, and the answer is probably next to nothing. Right. Right? Um, because as a weighting for the S&P 500 now, I think the top 10 stocks make up about a third of the weighting of the whole yeah, thing. I think six wow. make up 28% or something like that. That's nuts. It is. And it's because the biggest stocks also continue to get the most new money thrown at them as people invest in indexes. Right. Right. If if you're buying an index fund right now, then you're disproportionately buying tech within the index, mm -hmm. and that means that they are continuing to get more order flow or more demand for more shares, which helps bolster their price. Right. So super mega large companies get super mega larger as part of the regular event of in of these indexes being invested into. Right. And indexing has become massive mm -hmm. right absolutely massive now it works great until it doesn't right <laughs> i mean there are some mechanical challenges to indexing too because of that very point you just made that means that half the stocks of the s p 500 are actually going down right so it means that six to ten stocks if they go up they kind of hide all the other activity right. underneath right it's, I, I love using the term, you guys have all heard it on the airport. This is an eclipse, right? You can't see the sun because the moon's in the way. All right, well, right. I see the moon. That's all I know. <laughs> like, well, the sun is lots bigger, but it's, it's hidden from your perspective. And that's kind of how it works for us as investors is if you know 10 stocks cover up the other 490, all you need is those 10 stocks to go up. If the rest of them go down, maybe it looks like nothing happened at all. Right. Now, if you don't own the S&P 500, now you have to pick your stocks more carefully. Right. Yeah. So that one is a, a, a fun and interesting animal, but it, I think it's really important to understand the plumbing of this market, too. It's also why when people ask, hey, do we have another 2008 coming? And I, I scratch my head a little bit and say, well, I don't 
know that this is the same as 2008. You know why? Well, one, they've put different regulations in place yeah. to avoid that. That's that's part of it. And two, you're going to tell them after the break. All right, we'll yeah. tell you after <laughs> <laughs> uh, There was more, but we'll just wait. Stick around. If you want to know why, I don't think it's 2008. Uh, Justin and Matt are going to tell you, but we got to take an obscene profit break first. Stick around. This is Dave Littlejohn, Justin Bruggeman, and Matt Dixon. You got True Wealth on News Radio 1240 KQEN. All right, gang, welcome back to the True Wealth Radio Show. Uh, I've got my gang together here. Welcome to the studio. Thanks, Justin and Matt. It's the uh, dream team. Yes. And thanks for holding down the fort while I was gone. Right? Good work. We tried. It's yeah. still there. Still there. That's always a, a good thing. And now it's, uh, it, do we build an arc? I mean, we've had a drought, and now we're going to just let it rip. I enjoy rain now. I, know, I missed it. I actually don't mind the rain as much as if there's one thing, right? Not that there's nothing I can do about this. It's just that the days get short yeah. here. I get, as I get older, the snowbird thing makes more and more sense, to which I then have to explain to people, if there's one thing that COVID did that was an awesome favor for me personally, it didn't do any other favors than this that I can conjure up right now, other than maybe you know some intentional time with my family. We're all burnt out on Zoom, but we all know how to use it now. Right, that's I, true. We've been we've had our business built to be completely virtual and in the cloud since 2010, and when this came along, it was like, how are we going to do it? And we're like, well, you're just going to take your computer home, I guess. And it was seamless. It was even right? better because you had been talking about it about a year before that. Like, we need to get this in place. And we kind of just shrugged our shoulders and went, and then COVID happened. You're like, well, we're going to have to now. Well, but it was already there. Yeah. Right? It was there. Everybody's just like, I don't want to deal with it. It's okay. I don't even have to say I told you so. You guys did. Right. So, anyway, look, today's talk, we're, we're getting into the plumbing of the markets. And Right before the last break, if you missed it, I'm going to give you this one little opportunity to catch up. Otherwise, grab our podcast because there's more. If you want to get an understanding of how this fits together, there's more. Go to uh, littlejohnfs.com, and under the What We're About tab, there's three things. Educate, plan, and invest. This show, part of the educate, right? We're going to teach when we can. We're not selling a whole lot today other than our charm and disposition. I'll <laughs> figure out a way to sell it at the end, though, David. Just give me a chance. You still have to remember the phone number, Matt. 541-something. <laughs> way to narrow that down. And you call yourself a numbers guy? Come on, man. We're going to get that tattooed on you. So oh, anyhow, uh, under that Educate tab, there'll be a podcast. You can check this out. And if you are so inclined or you take value out of it, share it with a friend. That's how the word gets around, right? But the plumbing of the market, and at the break, we said, hey, you know what's different this time around compared to 2008, right? Because right. guys my age or a little older, few of you younger, there was, you know, there were some younger folks that were taking this one on the chin, but this was a prime time for me and my family. We were just launching. We just bought a house just in time to have, <laughs> oh, we're going to sell this in two years. 12 years later, when we sell it for what we bought it for, uh, it was licking our wounds and moving forward with life. So 2008, 
punch some people in the face. Real estate collapsed. Stock market fell by 50%. The Great Recession, as they called it. Bunch of job losses. Bunch of bank failures. Bunch of bank failures. Mm -hmm. Right? I mean, like we don't have nearly as many banks as we did 15 years ago. So what is different today than in the crash of 2008? Which and I, I said before the break, the different regulations they've put in place for bad lending. Yeah. Although, interestingly enough, we are seeing an escalation in um, they it's, it's getting easier to, to borrow money. Right. Right. I mean, we're seeing the standards for lending in the residential marketplace have been relatively manageable. Right. right? They're not completely no documentation. We haven't gone to full crazy yet. Right. Yeah. But but it's yeah. a lot easier. Keyword. For, and we've seen this was an interesting thing too recently. What did, what did we also see in the, the the mortgage marketplace? We we saw an increase in the conforming loan limits, right? Okay. So so they actually bumped up the 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 amount that you can get for a, a normal conforming loan. And I don't okay. know what it was, but was it a percentage based deal off of income? No, no, no. no. It used to be something like you know it used to be like four hundred twenty five thousand was the most you could get with a conventional loan, and oh, now it's up okay. to like five hundred and something thousand. So, so conventional loans and the non conventional means you're getting into jumbo loans, right? So they're they're above a certain size, and then jumbo loans have different different standards of qualifying. So the loans are easier to get, and they're higher amounts. So yes, yeah. largely, or they're not harder to get at least, and they're large and they're larger amounts. So you can borrow more money to get a get a house. And the crazy thing today is, I thought we got a good deal when we got a mortgage at six percent. Today people would look at that and say, "Oh my gosh, your mortgage is six percent? Right. What did, did did you did you get your first credit card at the same time? <laughs> <laughs> you know what year was that? Six uh, percent being a good rate. That was. To uh, December of 2005. Wow. Yeah. And then we got to refi one time with the, some program that got us down to 4.85. But then you, we couldn't do it again because there was no equity in the house and the program was spent. And then, you know, rates continue to plummet. Yeah. That, that house was never an investment other than we started our family there and it kept the rain off our heads. And so it, right. it worked well for us. But, it, it, you know, we, we'd have probably been in a different spot financially had we just rented. We'd had more money left over just renting. Wow. Yes. That's not typically how that goes, by the way. Not kind anymore, the way rent prices have gone through the roof. Now, but, but see, this is all relevant to what was going on with the, uh, the, the backdrop of the, the banking system, right? And like, why is today different? Because the, the question is, how are we different today? And you said the regula regulatory environment, right? Right. Okay. So there's another really significant difference. Bank balance sheets are, don't look that bad. Right. Right. Now, maybe you don't know what that means. I realize a lot of our listeners are probably going, huh? Cause Just you, the you amount know, of debt that they were carrying? Well, it's the, the amount of and collateral to compared it. to what they are lending out, right? Remember, banks have a fractional reserve requirement. So the reserve means that for all the money that they loan out, they have a certain amount in reserves at the same time. Well, they also need to have collateral for those reserves. And their balance sheets, they've got enough assets in reserve right now. Did they, re did they raise the reserve limit since 2008? 
I don't know hmm. is the short answer to that. Yeah, it so, it can shift that. around, but they haven't necessarily done a lot of shifting of reserve requirements to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we could talk to maybe we've got some mortgage pros out there. and Maybe we'll look at bringing a guest on the show mm-hmm. in the near future to have that discussion. But the, usually it's reserve requirements or interest rates. Right. So mm-hmm. the interbank lending rate, they can jockey gotcha. around and so forth. But, yeah, if you think about all of those circumstances, that wasn't it. So, I mean, the banks are they seem to be well capitalized. Okay, The other is there's the default rates are very low. And this all contributes to the same darn thing. Matt, was it easy to evict people in the last year? No, it was not. But if you didn't pay your loan, did they foreclose on landlords? They did not. They There was some forgiveness there. Right. So what happened is the risk in the marketplace wasn't borne necessarily by the banks. But well, someone's got to carry that burden. Well, if you don't make your loan payments, right, mm-hmm. they... The, it gets tacked onto the end, right. and you still get to pay yeah, more interest. The interest, the yeah, interest, the interest doesn't continues to grow too. Yeah. So it's not like you got away with it. So we're just the landlords are getting hosed, right? Mm-hmm. And the banks are getting hosed. The, we just haven't the had to deal with the people that fallout. are renting aren't getting hosed, right? Now, I don't want to get into the politics of it or anything else, but I can just tell you from an economic standpoint, when you allow one party to break the rules of a contract. You, you do create a problem, right? Because now all right. of a sudden contracts don't mean as much. If you yeah. say, oh, you have an obligation to pay rent, and if you don't do it, you have to go, and then the government comes in and goes, and the second thought, all contracts <laughs> that you agreed to are no longer in play. In fact, we're going to just kind of rewrite the rules as it best suits us to keep getting reelected. And you go, oh, my. We, we no longer have contract law that we can rely upon? Scary. Yeah. But are the banks going to collapse? No. Probably not. Because guess where all of the the bad obligations have run off to? The federal government. The Federal Reserve. Mm-hmm. Not even the federal government. Federal Reserve. Yeah. federal Reserve has just said, oh, well, the federal government has printed treasuries. We will simply buy those and hold them on our balance sheet. How did you pay for those? Oh, yeah, with money we printed. Right. <laughs> Wait, what? Like, yep, no, didn't have to give it to the banks. They didn't have to worry about it. Didn't have to give it to consumers. We just printed the money and put it on. We did, it's not even in a vault, right? That just it's seems just like a, delayed. We just changed the numbers on our spreadsheet. And we're like, all right, well, spreadsheet looks fine. That doesn't even weigh more than it did last time. That just sounds like <laughs> delayed inflation to me. It's all kinds of, it's, it's called modern monetary theory, right? So this is probably last. Do we have to take one last break? I think we do. Yeah. Okay. I guess we do. So hang out, and we'll we'll just fill in the little details of modern monetary theory and why you care, because it's that last bridge of the plumbing from the markets to DC. Those wacky guys and gals. All right, we got to we got to take. We'll be right back. This is Dave Littlejohn and Justin Brogman, Matt Dixon, and you got True Wealth on News Radio twelve forty KQEN. Hey, gang, welcome back to the home stretch of the oh. True Wealth Radio Show. Oh, no, you're on the hot seat now, guys. Oh. Uh, you got to check the podcast to get caught up. We're talking about market plumbing today. How does all this stuff connect? And at the break, we left our heroes with this cliffhanger of a question. What is modern monetary theory? And, Matt, 
you started to give me the definition of monetary policy during right. the break. Okay. Which is how the Federal Reserve changes the supply of money in circulation. Yeah. Okay. And then the other would be fiscal policy, which is the government mandating regulations that change the flow of money. Right. So how the government impacts it, changing tax rates and so forth. So what's the basic definition as I, I, you better remember this. I gave it to you like five seconds ago, right? Which is what is modern monetary theory in a nutshell? I mean, it's basically the government being able to print money when it needs to bail itself out in really basic terms. Yeah, and even more basic, I'll take a step back from that. It's the idea that the federal debt isn't really relevant. It just means that we there's a spreadsheet for the money, and because we're the ones with the printing press, we can manipulate the variables to smooth out the needs of the economy, if you will. Right, so we'll just go ahead and stabilize the economy through manipulating the entire monetary system. And so the debt isn't really that big of a deal. Now, just so we're clear, this is a theory, it's relatively new, and it is not agreed upon. So I'm gonna ask the tricky question, and I wanna see which of you guys is brave here. If the government borrows money from somebody but then has the printing press to decide what it's going to pay them back with. What does that mean? Well, I mean, <laughs> I mean, would it, the value of the dollar is dependent on how much they print. I right. Mean, I mean, certainly that. Change it. it. It means that the government's faith and credit is really on the in hot their, seat. Right. It's in their own control, basically. Well, they it, control it is. everything. <laughs> they always have. Fiat currencies work like this, right? But when you are the global reserve currency and you've got other countries and your own citizenry and everybody's lending money in the form of purchasing your treasury bonds mm -hmm. and you start to manipulate the value of all the currencies and, uh, and your economic system, what it means to me is tread carefully because if you lose the trust of the lender, because remember, you're the borrower. If you lose the trust of the lender, you have a real problem. You know, so right. what they can do is, yeah, you could pull the thread a little bit, but if you get a snag, I mean, you can unravel the sweater in a hurry. You don't want to lose the faith and credit in your fiat currency. Then all of a sudden you're, Nigeria or Venezuela, right? Your your currency doesn't mean anything. Nobody will trust it any longer. So you, while in theory you can pull the lever and do whatever you want, in practice you can only go so far as everybody else will allow it before they lose confidence right. in your currency. Now, if you have a military, it helps because you can kind of point a gun at people and say, you will trust our <laughs> currency, right? Have we seen that recently? <laughs> kind of. Because yeah. it may not be your own citizens. It may be the rest of the world saying, no, you can't have your own guns. We have them. And by the way, you're going to use our currency. Right? That's yeah. kind of how it works when you're in the these you know big uh, political gatherings. And it's like, well, we're the world police. We can, Now, I'm not, I'm not even saying that's good, bad, or otherwise. Because I think that the United States has been remarkably benevolent. And I think there are some people out there that can fairly rationalize, 
hey, we give a bunch of foreign aid out there. If we need to move the dollar values around a little bit so that we're not starving people in other countries, you guys will get over it, right? Like okay. I, 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 <laughs> I can understand where they're coming from. Not saying it's okay, but I'm saying that's what we're dealing with right now. The reason I'm not worried so much about 2008, this is the trick as we go into the end of the show. Everybody's doing it. Right, all like the G20, they're all in on it. They're all doing it. So, yeah, I don't think it's 2008. I think we could have a shakeup, but we'll we'll see if and when it comes. Right. So anyway, we're out of time for today. I know we didn't talk about financial planning at all, but hopefully you got a better shot at understanding the plumbing of this market and why the up and down is normal and why we care about our politicians. Uh, if you want to dig deeper, give our office a call. Matt, have you figured out the number yet? I'm going to take a stab at it, and it's probably going to be wrong. Better Five, hurry. 541-375-0898. Oh. All right, gang, until next time, this has been Dave Littlejohn. And Justin Bergerman. Matt Dixon. You're listening to True Wealth.